0: You can. You can meet every soul in the only place that matters. In their truest self, in their most alone place. You can meet them there. And you can prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are a good, good father. And that is what I ask you to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe see you. Thank you, Anna. Before I get started, just a couple things to let you know about. We are trying to build a church in Pakistan. We need to raise about six thousand dollars to do that. If you'd like to help with that, you could text the dollar amount and the word missions to eight four three two one. You could grab an envelope in the back, write missions on it, put it in there. You could write a six thousand dollar check or ten, whatever you want. Help us out. Also, Inside Connections Banquets this week, where did I see Lori? It's the 24th, 7 o'clock online, right? You want to tell them anything while while you're here? Go ahead, here. Lori wants to tell you something. This is totally unscripted. All right, you You want want to just... orange? Orange, turn on orange. It's okay, it just got weird. That's what happens when I don't practice or warn people about things. Can you hear me now? Yeah. All right, great. So there are lots of options and ways to attend this year's banquet. Um, online is definitely one of them. and. Um, and no one has signed up for Bunning Park, so if you want to come to Bunning Park, you have to sign up, because otherwise I'm not going to show up, because no one has, has signed up for that one. So um, a lot of different churches in the area. If you go to insightconnection.org and click on the banquet registration tab, it will, you can run through the re- registration really easy, really quickly, so that we know that you're coming and that we can plan for you. I would love to go to Bunning Park, but I'm not going to be there by myself. All right. Okay. Thanks, Lori. All right. You want to give her a plug? Okay. Nice bridge. Know what's going on here. All right. Now she doesn't know to the mic. I really like doing this, to Lori, Michael, thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that idea. Oh no, it wasn't him at all. I, it was totally, totally me. Starting a new series today called Shift. I really want to tell you what Pastor Steve told me to name it, but I guess I probably won't do that. But anyway, <laughs> chances are good. That your idea of God is skewered, at least, corrupted, possibly, by your story, your history, the wounds you've encountered in your life. What we want to do in this this first part of the series, this is actually a, a very long series that will spread out over the next year or so, is shift our thinking from trying to earn things from God to learning to receive things from God. So every time I go this way, I get that noise. So every time I need authority, I'll just come over here. Okay, got it. So as we think about God, you know, we all know and we've heard the expression, God is love. And we hear the phrases, God loves you. And even though we say that stuff and we amen that stuff and we get all emotional about that stuff in church, my personal belief, I don't think most people feel like God's that loving. I think most people think God's kind of a tyrant. I was watching a TV show the other night. It was a a drama, and the main character said to another another person, it said, you think God is out to crush you. And I think that's what most people think about God. Last week, we had a post that went up on Sweetwater Now, and it created quite a bit of comments on Facebook. And every time that happens, and it happens every time we challenge a normal concept. It, It happened a lot when we did the Worldview series last year i see in it how angry people are at god it blows my mind because these people say they don't believe in god and i'm always like how are you mad how how can you be so angry at someone you don't even believe exists that doesn't make sense to me but i also realize i live in the world that doesn't need to make sense if you would have told me two years ago that i would use the word absurd as much as i do now in fact, it's, it's redundant to say it, so it's just what we're living. If we could move from trying to earn things from God, correct our thinking about ourselves, and realize just how good and kind and merciful God is, it would not only revolutionize your faith, it would change the very way that you live. So we're going to go after that today. There's a movie that I like called Saving Private Ryan. you seen Saving Private Ryan? Just give me a nod. You don't have to... The movie starts with a trip to Arlington Cemetery, and you don't know quite what's going on, and then the movie is actually a flashback to Private Ryan, Jack Ryan's life. As, you, as we come into the end of the movie, we, we go from the, the devastation and the destruction of war, And we flash back to Arlington Cemetery and there is now what once was Private Ryan but now a senior adult man, Jack Ryan, after 40 plus years, removed from the life-changing, life-saving mission. And he's he's kneeling and he's crying before a tombstone of um, Captain John Miller. And the words we heard that were... John Miller's last words before we flash back to Arlington Cemetery were these two words. He looks at Private Ryan, who had just cost him all of his squad, all of his men, and now his own life. And he looks at Private Ryan and he says, earn this. Now I want you to climb into that for a minute. Here's a young man who went to war and and his life is saved by the sacrifices of several other men and and the, the most heroic of those men, the most honored of those men, as he's dying, speaks to him and says, earn this. And I want you to think about the weight of those two words that had to have been on Jack Ryan's life for the previous four plus decades earn this and in tears before the tombstone he turns to his poor wife who cannot speak to this at all there's nothing she can say that can soften the weight and the burden of those two words but he turns to his wife and he asks this question that's on your screen am i a good man and she says what Any wife would say in these circumstances, yes, you're a good man. But her words cannot overcome the weight of those two words. Earn this. All of us like to think we're good. We like to think we're good so much That we have phrases that just echo throughout our society. I believe all people are basically good. But what we don't do, and what what we're very seldom honest with ourselves about, is that usually our definition of what is good is ourselves. I've heard it time and time again. Expressions, they didn't say these words, but this is what they meant. They didn't do what I would have done, so they were wrong. I wouldn't have done it that way. So they were wrong. We are our own definition of good and ignorance is bliss. As long as there's no one to challenge that, we can just keep blissfully marching our path, being our own definition of what's good. And so if you're not Jack Ryan, who's just witnessed how much it costs to keep him alive and who didn't just get burned with those words, well, four decades before, of earn this. We can kind of meander through life thinking we're the standard of good. Thinking that we kind of deserve the good things we have. That maybe Jesus dying for us on a cross, we were actually worth The Bible says in Isaiah sixty four five, When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Romans three twenty two it says, All have turned away, all have become useless, no one does good, not a single one. We all operate under this assumption that we can earn God's approval, that we can work hard, go to church enough, give enough, be nice to enough people that God will like us in some way. And we operate under this earner mentality. And I want to I hate to be brutal, but sometimes I am. I just want to destroy that thinking. Because it's just... It's not true. Think about earning things. What if you... What if you made $1,000 an hour? That's a pretty good wage. Are they paying that at McDonald's now? I... What if you, that's right, 1000 bucks an hour? What if you worked 100 hours a week? What if you didn't take vacations, work 52 weeks a year, and what if you did that for 40 years straight? Basically, you worked for 1000 bucks an hour every waking hour of your adult life. At the end of 40 years, you would have $208 million if you didn't spend a penny. Didn't live in a house, you were homeless this whole time. Of course, if you're working 100 hours a week, you could just sleep in the break room, right? I know that by experience, actually, but that's a long story. What would $208 million actually buy you in Eternal Standards? Would an audience with God, the creator of the universe, the Holy One, would $208 million buy you a 30-minute meeting with God? Would would the time of every waking moment of your life turned into $208 million? Would that get you a condo in heaven where there are no more tears and no more sorrow? Where they paved the streets with gold? Would... Would your whole lifetime turn into $1,000 an hour, $208 million? Is it even logical? Is it even mildly logical that you could earn anything from God? It's absurd, isn't it? I mean, it's it's crazy. Why do we think that we can earn things from Him? Where does this thinking come from? And, And why do we even want to do it? So, when I I come with you today, when I come to you today with with God, I want to talk about who God is and I want to get past some of the lenses you may have. You see, that earner lens, we use it to read the whole Bible. And so, when we read the Bible, we find things in it that confirm our bias that we have to earn things from Him. We find things in it that confirm our bias that He's a tyrant as well. And so as, as we think about God today, I want to go past the, the God who took out Goliath, the God who wiped out the world with the flood, the, the God who, who sent fire from heaven in Elijah's day and, and took the offerings up. I, all those are great and cool stories about God who is awesome and powerful and holy. But I want to go to a place where Jesus went about God. A teaching that Jesus had that was so countercultural and so anti-Jewish for his time, or anti-Hebrew. In Luke 15, I'll jump over this verse because I forgot to cover it. Maybe I'll come back to it later. Jesus told a story. We're going to read the whole thing. Before I read it, I want to say something to small group leaders. If you're in a small group, I want to encourage you to read this entire text with your group and just to have... Two or three people in the group read it, and then have two or three people synopsis the verse or basically tell you what it says to help people process this passage. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told a story, this story. A man had two sons. The younger son uh, told his father, Now listen to what this says, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Isn't that awesome? Dad, you're not dead yet, but I'd like your stuff. Dad, all the things that you worked really, really hard for, I deserve them for free. Great, huh? So I want you to think about this son and what he asked of the father. Next passage. I'm sorry, I'm working on a new thing here, so it's going to look awkward and clunky just because I like awkward and clunky. The younger son told his father, I want My share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, we're going to come back to this passage right here. The the younger son packed all his belongings. I want you to remember that. And he moved to a distant land. and And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son, please take me on as a hired servant. The son's way home was through earning. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But notice what's missing. Remember the rehearsed approach to the father? The last part. Be a hired servant. That part's not there. But his father said to him. To his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. That's the story of the, the prodigal son that you're so familiar with. I, I wish I had time to just break down this whole parable, but it would be overwhelming. I'm only going to look at what we learn about the Father and one thing about the Son. So I want you to, to, to climb into the story with me, and I want, to, want us to learn together this about the Father. And my point is to, teach, to change how we think about Father God. First of all, I want you to see that the Father endured the most brutal of insults. The Son says to the Father, Hey, I want your stuff. I'm entitled to what you have, to what you earned. How arrogant is that? How hard is that? And, and the funny thing is, I can see this happening. Oh, it's maybe not funny. You know, in households, we have, we have in-house conversations with our kids. And then we have conversations that are more public. Right? This is the in-house part. This is the son saying to the father, I want your stuff. It's interesting that the father says yes, but that's not what I want to climb into. What I want to climb into is just how brutal the son's request is. I mean, just how harsh. He's saying, I don't want you, Dad. I don't want our family. I don't want our business. I sure don't want your values. I just want all your stuff so I can leave. That's what I want. That's brutal. That's harsh. That's an ultimate rejection of everything that the father stands for and everything that actually is the father's. And so I want you to see that the insult that the father endured at the, at, at the words of this son is like complete, man. I don't know if you parents have ever had arguments with your older children. I know you have with your younger children, but I'm talking older ones, Okay. <coughs> It hurts in a way that you can't describe to have your children reject you, especially if you already struggle with abandonment, insecurity, and rejection anyway, to have your own flesh and blood hate you. I think most parents have at least have been in the neighborhood of this conversation on some level. And and so here's this father who loves his son, cares about him i mean he's if you're a parent and you have children you have nursed them through sickness you have helped them learn you have paid for everything in their life and you keep thinking it will end and it won't (laughs) and why because you love them you sacrifice for them and you do it, yes, because you have to, and people would talk if you didn't. But you do it because you want them to succeed. You want them to, to grow. You want that for them. You love them, and they misinterpret your love sometimes. That's the Father here. This is God. This is the backstory to the Garden of Eden. This is a God who gave mankind, Adam and Eve, mankind, everything and wanted them to enjoy and to thrive and to build and to create. Gave them everything and gave them the power to do with those things. And this is what the fall is about. This is Adam saying to God, I don't want you, I don't want your values. I don't want the family business. I just want the stuff you made. What you earned. What you paid for. I want you to give it to me so I can do what I want. What an insult. I want you to see the insult. Because until you can see the insult that mankind's given God, you can't get into the neighborhood of the insult that we often give to God through the same kinds of thinking. But the Father... His kindness gave the son his inheritance. Now, the second thing I want you to see. Yeah, it was a brutal insult, but it also, he got treated very badly. So I already said, there's the living room argument, or the basement, or whatever. But then there's the one in the front yard. That's when you know you're having a great time as a parent, right? (laughs) You started in the house, and now all the neighbors can see what's going on. And uh, you may have to follow along with me because the NLT does not capture this very well at all. But the Bible says in the New Living Translation, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. It looks like he just took all the father's cash, threw it in a knapsack over his shoulder, and, and Tom hooked Finn out of there. Right? Gone. I'm going to go do what I want. That's not what happened. You see, the father's inheritance wasn't bills. Wasn't just gold coins and silver. It was sheep, cows, lands. The inheritance was all kinds of things. And so, what you don't see in the text, and you need to see in the text, is the estate sale that happened. At the, the end of the last movie in the, the Hobbit series, Bilbo returns from his grand adventure, and he's walking past everybody leaving a yard sale. And they've got all this stuff in their arms as they leave. And as he's walking the path back to his house, he realizes that the stuff they're carrying is his stuff. And he gets back to his house and finds out that they've declared him dead and they're selling all this stuff in an estate sale. Then, to add insult to injury, he's standing there. They know who he is. They make him prove that he is Bilbo. And they all know him. Kind of what happens on this day. Here's the son turning all the father's assets into more easily transportable cash, gold, whatever. What's the humiliation in this? Everybody in the countryside knows that the father and the son are separating. The father is being rejected by a son and everybody knows it. What happens when people know your business? They're nice to you and keep their mouth shut? Is that how that works? They don't get on the grapevine and let everybody know their opinion, do they? That doesn't happen. Any of you ever been a victim of the grapevine? <clears throat> we could take testimony right there, but we're not going to do it. <laughs> what I want you to see is that the father dragged the fam- I mean, the son dragged the father's name through the mud to leave. The next time you think about God as a tyrant, you come to Luke 15 and you, re- you look at a father. Who, in the face of brutal insult and in the face of humiliating treatment, was kind, was patient, was giving. That's what we need to see. The Father is just not who you think. He's not out to crush you, He's waiting for you. He's not out to get you, and He's not a tyrant, He's a Father. Who's the most loving and the most patient, so much so that you can't understand it. It's frustrating to me that the enemy, the Bible calls him Satan, is able to do horrible things in our world through people and blame the Father for what he's done. It drives me crazy. And by the way, that's why people hate God. They don't hate God because of what he's done. They hate God because of what the enemy and what people have done that the enemy was able to give God the credit for. Because if you even think about ourselves, we think that we're pretty good, but anything that ever does go wrong in our lives, we very seldom own it ourselves. We usually blame God for it. So we kind of help the accuser out. So the father endured an insult, the father was humiliated. And in spite of all that, "This this is what I don't get. This is the God you don't know, this is the God we don't think about. In spite of all of that, apparently what the father does in the story is that when the son leaves and he's just a dust wisp over the next horizon, the father sets up watch. Somewhere in the father's heart, the father's like going, he's coming back. You see, because wisdom is not logic. Wisdom is different. And this father knows and knew and knew on an eternal level that the only way to get his son back was to let his son go through the pig pen. And so the father sets watch, and he watches the horizon. And the Bible tells us that after the son has his epiphany, after the son finally gets to the pig pen, and he awakens, awakens, and he comes home, the Bible tells us that the father saw him coming from a long way off. So apparently he was watching. The Bible then tells us that the father ran to the son, And that the father embraced the son, that the father kissed the son and wept on the son. Now, I want you to think about this. I mean, it's a beautiful story without any additional thought. However, this story is set in a Middle Eastern context. Fathers don't run to their kids 2,000 years ago in Hebrew culture. The father is the patriarch of the family. Children run to dad. Dad don't run to kids that doesn't run to the kids. I have some grammar in there somewhere. But it's been southernized, and who knows what's right, you know? You see, I'm dressed in jeans and a plaid shirt that's very large, so I kind of look like a curtain on a big wall. (sighs) But in that culture, the father would have worn something like a, a robe. To run, you would gather it up to waist height and you would run. <clears throat> the patriarch of a family did not do that, but this father did. This father didn't care what the neighbors thought. This father didn't care about the grapevine. He didn't care about people's judgments. This father had been waiting for a time period that we don't know how long it was for the son to come home, and when the sun cracked the horizon, the father did not wait for the son to get to him. The father ran to the son, and then he got to his son, and here's his son covered in the filth of the pig pen, covered in the grime of his own mistakes, covered in what he could actually earn, pig manure. Sorry. It just hit me, and I said it, and I was over here by Jason. I think his spirit influenced me. <laughs> The father got to that filthy, homeless young man and in abandon wrapped his arms around him, in abandon wept and kissed his son. He didn't care what the neighbors thought. He didn't care what all the hell thought either. Because by the way, this is why Satan hates you Because the father loves you like this. And then, in the anti estate sale or the party, the father invited all of those gossipy, judgmental neighbors to the party and said, This is my son who was lost and is now found. That's the father, guys. That's the God that when we say God loves you, that's who we're talking about. He's the God who can see past your mistakes and your grime and every dumb thing you have ever done, and he can see the son or daughter inside of you. He can get past all of that to get to you. He's the father that doesn't wait for you to get to him. He runs to you. You will never have to travel far to get to God because he will always be tailing you. That's who the Father is. And so this lie that God's out to get you, that if things didn't work out in your life, it's because God let you down. This is not true. The truth is that God loves you and God is good. And another truth is you ain't so great. The one who deserves all the praise and all the glory endured all the abuse. The life God wants to live with you. Actually, if you want to know what it's like, go back to Genesis chapter 2. And there's Adam and Eve in the garden. And their life is the fruit of God's goodness every day. They get up in the morning and eat breakfast from God's goodness They walk in the afternoon with God and just discuss God and his goodness and the world that he created and his kindness. That was the relationship that Father God wanted with his first son, Adam. And that is the relationship that God wants with you. A life filled with hope, with opportunities. Yeah, yeah, there's pain. Yeah, there's corruption. Yeah, there's tears. That's temporary. That wasn't the father's plan. That was Adam's idea. And so, I want you to think about God differently. But I guess I also need to think about the son a little differently too. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This is really taps into the problem that we're trying to address in these next three, this sermon and the next three our first way home is usually the idea that we can and that we have to earn it. I, I've been a, a pastor in leading churches for a couple days, over 25 years, maybe, maybe longer. <laughs> they all kind of blend together, <clears throat> all those meetings and tears and things like that. And the conclusion I came to about 15 years ago was that most Christians believe in salvation by grace and sanctification by works. They believe God saves them, but then it's up to them. And it used to really frustrate me, but it doesn't anymore because now I see this is what the prodigal son did. His first trip home, I'll earn it. I'll just be a servant in the Father's house. Here's the problem with that thinking. We already know his earning potential. He can take a lot of money and turn it into no money, which all of us kind of have that skill at some level, and then he can earn pig food. Yay! How is that of any benefit to the Father? And my favorite part of the story is the son never got to that line. I don't know if the father interrupted him. I don't know if in a moment, a strike, lightning strike of wisdom, it dawned on him. This is stupid. I don't know. All I know is he never got to the earning it line. He had to settle for being given a sonship. Is that good? I thought it was kind of good. And that's what I want. I want us to get past our earn it mentalities. Which which one of the fruits of the spirit have you worked enough to deserve? I mean, really, just look at the life you have right now with that broken cabinet door and the toilet that won't flush right. You have to jiggle the handle. Anybody have that toilet? I mean, do you even deserve that life? And yet, the goodness of God has provided that for you. But then, the the Father's house, the Father's promises, the Father's kingdom are so much more than you could ever imagine. Yes, heaven. Heaven sounds great, but you know what sounds even better than heaven? The presence of the Father. Man, I don't know about you guys, I don't even know if you'll have to do this because the Father kind of just runs and meets you where you are. So you might not have. But if you did wake up on heaven's shores and you there was a distance between you and the Father's lap, I think first thing you do in heaven is get to that lap. But I don't think you have to do that because Jesus said that if a person believes in me, they'll never see death. So I think the second you crack death's door, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that the Father is there to catch you. That's what I think. You can't earn what the Father has for you. The Father doesn't want mere servants. The Father wants sons and daughters. So, the Bible tells us this in Romans 3.22. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So guys, this is is what grace is. This is what the Father offers you today. You may be sitting there wrestling with whether or not God's even real. That's because there's a, a lot of press in the world. That gives God the credit for the enemy's work or man's mistakes. But I want you to know that the Father loves you, and I want you to know that the Father is good. And what that son had to do to get from the pig pen back home was he had to accept that. He had to accept that the father was good. He had to surrender to the goodness of God. What I don't want you to think as you read this, as you think about this, is that the son came home, said, Dad, we're good, we're cool, I'm going back to the pig pen. That didn't happen. When the son came home, he surrendered to the father's goodness, the father's household, the father's values, everything that the father was put himself under that. And so that's what you have to do. That's what I have to do. Not just as a path of salvation. This is the Christian walk. We are daily surrendering to God's goodness. Why? Cuz your goodness ain't so good. Our goodness is generally very self-centered. It's good for me. I'm not really worried if it's good for you. Right? But God's goodness, when we surrender to that, Then what's good for me is good for you and you and you and you. So when we surrender to his goodness and submit to him and serve him because of what he's done and what he's given, not because we earn it. You cannot earn any of this. Then we submit to God's mission as well, which we'll get to in a later message. You just got to remember, God's mission is pretty obvious. He's waiting for his sons to come home. That's the family business, getting sons and daughters home. What do you need to do with this? I like to have applications to things. Today, this I guess you could have two focuses here. You may be trying to decide whether or not God's good, whether he's worthy of coming home too. This sermon Message, idea, this is definitely for you. Some of you, though, you may uh, consider yourself a Christian. But you could still end up in your own kind of pig pen. Still wander off from the Father. So, yeah, you could call this a salvation message. But the great thing I love about salvation is that it's (laughs) always saving. See, salvation doesn't just save you once. It saves you continually never stops. That's why Jesus said, "Whosoever calls, why Paul wrote, "Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved," and he has no qualifiers. So I want you to do this. Worship team, if I could get you to come on up. I got a prayer that God gave me while I was working on this text. It was a prayer that looked to me, it looked like the, what the prodigal son was doing and praying. And I'm about to read the prayer. It's actually on the slide behind me. And you might be in a place that you would agree with this prayer. That it would be right where you are. You might be where you need, you realize, I need to take my faith out of me and put it into Father God. And if so, this prayer would be for you. You might be in a place where you've been using religion to get to God as a way to earn something from Him and you realize today that ain't going to fly. That's not even logical. And this prayer might be for you. So you can look at the screen. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads when it's done because I have a, something I want us to do together before we, we begin to worship. But let me just read this prayer. And if you can make it yours, do so. Father, I can't, I can't make it up to you. I've done it my way my whole life. And all I have left are husks of the dreams I once held. I've lost my faith. I've lost my hope. And I no longer believe in me. Father, I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your child, but I have come home to you. Would you bow your head? Steve, could you give me just a little bit of music, man? Just soft and quiet. I'm leaving the verse on the screen. If you wanted to hear it before you prayed it and you want to pray it now, you can go ahead and do that a prayer, I actually prayed myself over some things in my life. But here's what I wanna do now. You see, the prodigal son came home and there's a way that I could say, if I pressed, that he prayed this prayer, or something like it. What I want you to do right now is I want you to stand in the prodigal's shoes. I want you to be there, off that dusty road, covered in the grime of mistakes and, what you could actually earn. And I want you to... I want you to look at the Father. I want you to see the Father shoot off of that front porch or out of the yard or out of the field or wherever he was. I want you to see him gather up his robes. I want you to see him run to you. I want you to see... The smile on his face and the tears stream his cheeks as he gets closer to you. I want you to see in that face all the forgiveness that Papa, Father, God has got for you. I want those tears to wash away the pig pen and the bad choices and the mistakes, the addiction, the abuse, the uses. I want you to see The Father run to you with those tears, and I want you to see Him completely not care how much the mistakes were and how much you've hurt Him and how much abuse you've levied at Him as He wraps His arms around you right now. He's probably saying something to you right now. There's probably a particular failure in your life at this very moment that you're remembering And Father's leaning into your ear, and he's saying, I got that, and I'm glad you're home. And he kisses you. And the smile on his face is from ear to ear. Because his son, his daughter, came home. If you prayed that prayer and you just visited God like that, would you just say out loud two words, I did right now. I did. Did you just say it? Father, I hear hearts around the room. If only we surrender to your goodness. Oh, how life-changing. How many people would be forever changed if we could surrender to your goodness? We could just let go of all that junk we think is so important and let the Father carry us into the house. I pray that you set souls free. I pray for that heart that's mad at you, that you'd melt it for them. You'd show them that they've been lied to. Lord, so good. As I conclude this prayer, I'm going to go to my this cross on my right. If I can pray with you about anything, you can come join me during this worship song. Pastor Steve